Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Dr. Alan Pitt. He's a professor of neuroradiology at Barrow Neurological Institute and also the chief medical officer at Cloud Medics Health. At uh, the Barrow Neurological Institute, they are one of the country's premier centers of excellence for neuroscience. He has degrees from Stanford and the University of Arizona. He did postgraduate training in internal medicine, neurology, radiology, and neuroradiology. Over the past two decades, Dr. Pitt has worked at the nexus of computers and medicine, looking for better ways to stitch together our fragmented care system. We talk a lot about the siloed nature of healthcare, and he passionately believes that by putting the patient in the front of the right person, fear and anxiety for the patient, the loved one, the nurse or generalist, can be replaced by reassurance. This avoids needless tests, transfers, and worry. He focuses on cloud-based solutions as he's doing with his experience at Cloud Medics, which he'll dive into a little bit further today, and collaborating with sustainable business models to create better outcomes in healthcare. So in addition to that, Alan is also a podcaster. He, The name of his podcast is Healthcare Pitstock, curating conversations for better care, We'll be leaving links to his podcast as well as his work in the show notes. But for now, I just want to give you a warm welcome, Alan, to the podcast. Thanks for joining Thank us. You. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It's a privilege to have you carve out time for us. Now, did I miss anything in the intro that you'd like to fill in? Uh, I think you got it all. I, I don't think you put my birthday and what I like to get for gifts, but other than that, we're good. Thanks. Love it. No, that's great. And, and so what got you into the healthcare sector? Well, so healthcare is really a family business for me. My my father's a physician. I call myself uh, probably the stupidest person to ever go to Stanford because all I thought about <laughs> was getting into med school while I was at Stanford rather than looking at the opportunities there. But pretty much, you know, you often follow uh, in the things that you're familiar with. My father had a very successful career in healthcare. And uh, I went into healthcare uh, with that as a model. My wife is actually a physician. Half of all uh, women physicians meet and marry other physicians. And actually my daughter and her fiance are both. Uh, wow. Physicians. So it really is the family business for us. It sure is. That's amazing. So yeah. you guys are truly at the core, you know, a physician family. I would say so. Yeah. For good or for bad. I had a lot <laughs> of conversations with my daughter about, you know, why she wanted to do this, if this was a good choice for her. And she, of course, as all children do, didn't really listen to me and gave me reasons why I didn't understand. And she's now at the University of Colorado in uh, obstetrics and gynecology. Wow. Good for her. Yep. Good for her. You guys, you guys have done well, raised her well, and, and she's following your footsteps. So you've also taken an entrepreneurial pursuit and, and sort of gone into the business side of things. So, you know, overall, you know, you, you have a really well-rounded experience. What would you say a hot topic, Alan, that needs to be on health leaders agenda today is and how are you and your organizations approaching it? Yeah. So I have, well, so when I say my organization, I, I have many different hats that I wear uh, when I speak about my organization. I have the Barrel Institute, mm -hmm. which is an institute inside a larger organization called Dignity Health, now called Common Spirit, which is roughly 150 hospitals here in the U.S. Barrow and Dignity don't necessarily align with what their mission is. Barrow is really focused on serving the most complex patients in the country, where Dignity has a broader mission of, I want to serve the underserved. 
and take care of everybody. And, and that's a, perhaps a separate topic. And then I have my entrepreneurial hat, one where I look out in the world, I see problems, and I want to find solutions. And so you kind of have to couch it in, in those terms. More broadly, I would tell you that, you know, I'm now in my late 50s. Mm-hmm. And I've lived through multiple iterations of healthcare that are going to have some major influences. And so when I was in med school, of course, we did everything on paper and we lamented how bad the paper was. If you wanted to do research, you had to go to the medical records place, which was kind of like the dungeon where they have all these charts and you get these big carts full of charts and you try to read through the charts and these illegible notes and you'd lament how they were illegible and you couldn't do your research as a medical student. Yeah. Now we have everything electronic and now we lament how bad the electronic uh, user interface is and how we can't find stuff there and how it doesn't talk to different systems. I think we've gone through this process of going from paper to digital, but the digital really is not in a format that either providers or patients can use to help them better understand their healthcare. And I think we're about to hit this kind of if paper was the first wave, digital is the second wave. The third wave is, you know, how is digital actually going to interact with humans in a way that is much more fluid and friendly that I think matters. So the, the third iteration would be, how do we humanize digital? Correct. Right. So you have all this data now, right? We've gone from paper to digital. You have all this mm-hmm. data, but from a patient perspective, for instance, if you go to use Google to search about your healthcare you get an overwhelming amount of information, which basically dilutes its value to you as a patient. And you as a provider at the bedside, you're really sitting there documenting almost a slave, if you will, to the revenue cycle side, the the billing side of healthcare, how we get paid, as opposed to the technologies really adding as an assistant to you to help you better understand that patient and what are next steps, uh, what would be best best practice next steps. We're not there yet. We're, we, we talk about clinical decision support. We're really at the very beginning of that. And I think it's important to point that out because that's actually a real opportunity for people who want to be entrepreneurial. How do I, how do I take all this data and make it much more approachable for both patients and physicians? Hmm. Yeah, that's some, some great, great insights there, Alan. And so maybe you could dive into some of the work either at Barrow or CloudMedics. Tell us about how you've created results and improved things by doing them differently. Yeah, so it's funny, uh, healthcare, healthcare at the bedside, hospitals, I think really um, somewhat lag behind entrepreneurs. But I'm going to just give you a brief example of what the Barrow is trying to do. And, and it kind of points back to some of the earlier work I did. Prior to working with CloudMedics, I was the chief medical officer of a large telemedicine company, Avizia, which then exited to American Well. The idea of telemedicine, the ability to bring the right person in at the right time, really offers an opportunity to save patients a lot of angst and expense. Mm-hmm. So uh, a, a small example of something that we're starting to do, and obviously there's a lot of opportunity to do this, is this idea of a network seeing information about the patient before a patient is sent to our hospital. We often get patients sent to us from hospitals around Arizona as well as around the country. Often these are felt to be emergencies. Many times they're not emergencies. Right. And if we'd only been able to see the patient or see their MRI scan or CT scan, we'd have been able to avert that transfer. Either the patient isn't as sick as is being proposed, or they're so sick that moving them to the barrow really isn't going to help very much. And so now we're basically, and this sounds kind of almost old school in today's uh, day and age, we're allowing our residents and attendings to see some of those images before the patient gets in the helivac. Realize, of course, that many patients have to pay for that transport. 
And that can bankrupt a lot of families. That really yeah. upsets me when we receive somebody who didn't need to be here. Yes. From a cloud, yeah, from a cloud medics perspective, I feel very blessed. You know, I've reached this point. I've helped a whole bunch of startups and I have somewhat the luxury of being able to engage in companies that I really believe in. Uh, cloud medics uh, was started by two co-founders with advanced degrees in computer science. Uh, Tashfin Solman, the, the CEO, was with Microsoft for quite a while. He had his own personal experience with a family member where the physicians did not have the information necessary to make the right diagnosis. And uh, he thought he could build something different. But unlike a lot of tech entrepreneurs, I really um, applaud Tashvin because he learned a lot of the lexicon and workflows of healthcare almost before he built his business. And now he's built a very interesting company that really acts to support both providers and patients uh, leveraging artificial intelligence. And he really tries to fit that artificial intelligence to the workflow of patients and providers in ways that are very pragmatic. I love the approach you're taking, right? Because from, from the bedside, you're implementing process innovation and, you know, hey, risk stratification, who's ill, who's not, how can we prevent 60, that the 60, the number is 66% of bankruptcies to healthcare reasons. Yeah. And I love your passion about that. Your complete disgust with that happening if it doesn't have to happen. And then on the other side, it's technology innovation, leveraging your experiences. So I'd love to hear from you through these, these insights that you've made, maybe something that didn't work out so well and what you learned from that made you stronger and better because of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So, um, you know, I, I'll tell you uh, some mistakes I've made as a physician, right? And I tell you the, the story only to give your listeners a sense of some of the struggles in healthcare at the bedside. So when I was an intern in, in medicine, gosh, almost 35 years ago now, it's starting to Yeah. <laughs> there are two patients that I was not completely, but partially responsible for their deaths. And as I looked at both of those experiences, there were things, checks and balances, process issues that were broken that allowed the wrong patient to get the wrong medication. And I participated in that. And I I still see their faces, if not on a daily basis, certainly on a weekly basis. And certainly when other providers have a less than optimal outcome, I always think back to those times. That being said, those experiences, I think, have made me a little bit better when I, I see other people or I see issues that pop up. It's given me some perspective on what can happen in healthcare. I should tell some of your listeners who are not physicians that, you know, whenever you think to go to a hospital, there's no free lunch. I think Americans believe that they can consume healthcare with no risks and it'll all be fine. Anytime somebody comes at you with a sharp object or a drug that you haven't taken before, you really want to ask yourself, ask your provider, are there any other options? Because there's always risks involved. So you want to think about that. It's a good call out, Alan, and appreciate you sharing that. From a, an entrepreneur perspective, um, I think there, there have been also some lessons. I'm an entrepreneur. I've also been an, an investor at times. I would tell you as an investor, I give talks to my residents and fellows on healthcare investing. And I, I kind of have a rule now that mm-hmm. I, I tell them if there's no revenue, you don't invest. Yeah. You can help, but certainly my mistakes in healthcare have been about, I think the f- expression is FOMO, fear of missing out, right? You're, you're presented with a problem and a solution that you understand. And certainly as physicians, we, you know, we think we're really smart and we engage stuff, but <laughs> execution matters more than anything else. And revenue means other people are willing to pay, literally pay for that solution. And so I'm very reluctant now to invest in solutions where 
other people have not elected to pay for things. I think that's a, that's a great call out, especially with the slow selling cycle in healthcare. From you have an idea to hospitals, practices are going to be purchasing it. It's, it's definitely a great call out. So as, you, as you've made mistakes, you've also had a ton of successes. I'd, lo- I'd love to hear one of your most proud moments <laughs> has been. Well, it's been um, one of my, uh, in terms of uh, entrepreneurism, and it's probably one of my proudest things, but it's also one of my greatest disappointments and a real learning experience. So um, I posted some of this on the web, so this is not uh, private information, but my my mother-in-law was a patient here at this hospital, and they had some issues with her, and she got transferred to another hospital, but my hospital forgot to kind of tell the other hospital that she was coming. And so I get this call from my father-in-law. He's a Korean War vet. I can hear my mother-in-law kind of yelling at him and mm-hmm. it's like near tears. And I call up the uh, chief nursing officer at the hospital at the, time, at the time. And, you know, I was a fairly well-known physician. And I said, you created this problem. You will fix this problem. And so they got my mother-in-law back in the hospital that night. And I went to them the next day. And I said, look, I don't care that this problem happened. I just want to know what you're going to do to change things. I've had, you know, things that have gone sideways. and they said, sure, we'll get back to you. But they never did. And I kept going after the person. Finally, the person who was responsible to get back to me. I said, you know, what ways do you have to communicate with patients when things go sideways? And he looked at me straight in the eye and said, Doc, I, I really have nothing. I have no tools to remind me to go back and touch that patient that we didn't do a great job on. And in that moment, I came up with a technology strategy, which I called my hospital and I partnered with the chief nursing officer to allow nurses on their 48-hour follow-up call to record or, or at least note what patients were saying about their experience. And if there was something that was not ideal, to basically pass that message forward into other sectors in the hospital. The chief nursing officer and I actually won something called the Green Light Award. It was an innovation award offered by Dignity Health. That's great. Uh, we won $100,000 to build the technology. We deployed that technology the nurses who were very skeptical at first became some of the biggest advocates. They sang songs about it and they got t-shirts. And then- so they literally sang songs about it. I can send you a YouTube of <laughs> one of the nurses. I want to see that. <laughs> it is the only IT platform I am aware of ever that I have nurses, literally, they made up a poem and singing a song about it. If you share the link, I'll definitely put it in the show notes. That's awesome. I will absolutely uh, find you the link. (laughs) So, you know, the nurses were all in. And then really the leadership of Dignity, who had given all this money, couldn't figure out how to scale this opportunity. And the institution kind of through privacy and legal and everything else kind of blocked it. So it became one of my proudest moments. I created something that I thought could really add to care but also one of my saddest moments to see that we couldn't figure out how to get out of our own way. So it was, uh, that was, that was kind of interesting. Wow. It's a great story. And uh, well, you know, also a testament to how you could, you get lemons, make some lemonade. And, you know, you truly did that with the situation, created something awesome. People rallied behind it. Difference was make being made. And the thing that, that you know, I guess I, I'll highlight to the listeners is, wow, even as an insider, Dr. Pitt, Alan, yeah. you know, it's hard to get these things to, to move. So if you're struggling right now with a solution that you believe in, it's hard. 
So don't get down on yourself. Keep working on that. There's a way. There's a way if you really believe it. There's a way if you connect with the right people. But man, sometimes there isn't. And, and we got to learn how to. It's, how uh, to yeah. it's, it's tougher than you think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's really tougher than you think. No, this is a great, uh, great example, Alan, and definitely appreciate you sharing that. How about an exciting project you're working on today? So I would say that the, the majority of, time, of my time now outside my clinical practice is um, being taken up by CloudMedics. I'm um, super engaged with CloudMedics and, and really believe in their mission moving forward. Really, we're being overwhelmed by data as providers. It's leading to a lot of uh, provider burnout. And the application of AI as a bot, if you will, to help physicians provide other providers uh, get through their workflow, I think is a really big deal. The founders actually had a, an interesting idea. So I think they're their first software to pass a modified version of the medical boards. And they came to me and they said, look, you know, we'd like to have our software take the medical boards and compare it to UCSF residents. And I said, don't, don't do that. That's not really the opportunity. The opportunity is have the residents take this exam, have the software take this exam, and then have the residents with the software take the exam. Ah. And almost as expected, what you saw were residents got in about the 70% range, a little higher. Mm -hmm. Software got in the 80% range. And then the residents with the software got in the 90% range. Nice. The whole thing there is that there's a lot of fear about AI displacing people. Mm. It's not about displacing people. We're not going to take your job away. We're going to change your tasks, what your job involves. And in this world, when you interview those residents after they took the exam with the software. They said, you know, initially I didn't trust it, but then I started to lean in because I recognized that it was really helping me understand. And if you've taken the medical boards, they're usually problem sets that, you know, if a patient is this, then that. I think that's really about the future of healthcare and what it looks like. I love that. You know, and, and when, whenever I get into discussions about AI and, and healthcare with folks, I always just say it's augmented intelligence. Yeah, that's right. But somebody has to be augmented. That's right. And somebody has to be augmented. That's right. Wow. So cool. I think that's neat. And, and uh, I think, gosh, we could do another podcast on, on really like the behind the scenes of Cloud Medics. So the hook is in, listeners, you know, check out what Cloud Medics is up to and what Dr. Alan Pitt is doing there. We'll leave a link to, to that in the show notes as well. We're here at the lightning round. So I've got a couple sure. questions for you, followed by a book you recommend to the listeners. You ready? You betcha. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Data transparency. Basically pointing out to people where they sit relative to their peers in terms of uh, you know, how they're performing. Love it. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Well, I, I'm not sure how we we're going to tell you whether it's related to outcomes or starting a business, but if a, a pitfall in terms of starting a business, I would recommend that you find a, a partner in it. I, I don't think you can build a business without a peer, without somebody to help you when times get tough. I think you need to find that other person who, you know, what's it, the Jerry Maguire line, who completes you. I would definitely find someone else to go through that rough road. Love that. How do you stay relevant despite constant change? I don't know. That's, that's a tough one. I, I think uh, from an organizational point of view, from a large healthcare point of view, uh, we're really uh, struggling to figure out how to, to not so much stay relevant, but stay afloat. But I think it's uh, for me personally, you know, I tell people you reach midlife and you start drinking, you have an affair or you start a new job. I think if you're uh, always curious and always looking for solutions, there are problems waiting to be solved all around you. All you have to do is look yeah. and try to think about that problem a little bit harder. 
What a great, great insight there. And uh, what does one area of focus that drives everything in your work? I, you know, it's funny. I think from a personal perspective, I'm looking to make a difference. You know, I want to get to the end of the road and feel like I mattered somehow. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that's a, an empty, you know, it's an endless cup that needs to be filled. But um, I'd like to look back. And, and by the way, it's never, I think, what other people think about your work and what you're doing. It's what you think about that work. And is it adding value? Unfortunately, for many of us, we often become our harshest critic. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a great, great insight there. And so these next two are, are more on a personal note for the listeners sure. to get to know you. What is your number one health habit? So my number one health habit is that I have an ex- a reclining exercise bike, not a, not a sitting one, a reclining exercise bike, because for the guys out there, some of them may struggle as I did with uh, when you sit on those bikes for too long, yeah. you get areas of numbness that are not appreciated. So I have a reclining bike that I read or do some work or watch TV, but I pretty much awesome. get 30 minutes of exercise, get a, you know, get into a sweat almost every day, which I think ah, that's great. Helpful. Yeah. So it's, I don't have to go anywhere. It's sitting in my bedroom. I can do that. That's awesome. And how about your number one success habit? Uh, my kids will hate this, but my probably my number one success habit is that I talk to strangers a lot. <laughs> I love it. So that. Um, uh, you never know if you turn to the person that you're waiting to get on the airplane with or you're out to dinner, if you just turn to them and go, you know, what do you do? What are you up to? Yeah. And I, I think it drives my, my kids kind of nuts. We went to Australia once as a family on a trip mm-hmm. and I did a a try and buy. I, I started talking to all these young women about, have you ever thought about living in America? We're looking for an au pair. And I, I drove my children nuts, but uh, we ended up having a, a great au pair and a great friend on that trip. Yeah. She finally said, yeah, I'll do that. That so, is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's great. That's a good habit. Alan, what book would you recommend to the listeners? You know, I would uh, strongly recommend Blue Ocean Strategy. They have a new book called Blue Ocean Shift that just mm-hmm. came out. How do you by- like that one? I, uh, you know, the new one, the new one is, uh, it sounds like you've read it. It's, it's yeah. a little dense, okay. uh, but I think if you can get through shift, blue ocean shift, mm-hmm. there's a lot there that okay. will help you uh, really uh, rethink mm-hmm. how you want to build that business. I think we need a lot more op- entrepreneurs who are looking for uh, a blue ocean strategy. For those who don't know what blue ocean is, blue ocean, uh, there's two oceans. There's the red ocean. There's the commoditized where we are ocean of defined customers. Zero sum game. Zero sum game, right? Uh, you know, businesses all competing for the same customer. And then there's a blue ocean strategy, which is uh, really coming up with novel mashups to create additional value, not necessarily margins for the business, but value for the customer, which ultimately results in higher margins. And it looks to enlist people who are not using the solution, the product today yeah, in that new world. And I think there's a lot to be gained about blue ocean strategies as we think about it uh, from a healthcare perspective, from, you know, across the spectrum uh, for startups. Great recommendation. Again, folks, you could find all of our show notes at outcomesrocket.health. In the search bar, type in Alan Pitt, that's P-I-T-T, and you'll find the show notes, a full transcript, as well as links to all the resources we've discussed. Before I conclude, Alan, uh, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could connect with you or follow your work. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make a difference. And to do that, I really need to bring a, along a community. I do share my own blog podcast on both LinkedIn as well as my own blog site, Healthcare Pit Stuff. And, you know, I recommend, you know, I, I would certainly uh, be um, happy if anyone would 
not only listen in, but critique it. If you have thoughts around what I'm missing, I would be very appreciative of that. And for frankly, you know, healthcare is one of those spaces, very hard space to work in, but it's one of those few spaces where you can do well by doing good. You can really make a difference. As my you know, Jewish grandmother used to say, may you be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, if without your health, you don't have anything. And so it's really incumbent on all of us to try to stand that up. Love it, Alan. That's a great closing thought and a great invitation to everybody listening. Check out Alan's work. It's worthwhile. I, I respect what you do, Alan. I, I admire the, the things that, you're, that you've been up to and really thank you for, for spending time with us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 